Hi, this is Tom Scioli. You're listening to the Nerd by Word podcast. Welcome to a brand new episode of the Nerd Byword Podcast, truly a wretched hive of scum and villainy. I'm Dave, I'm here with my co-host Chris, and we're ready to talk nerdy to you. Today's episode features an in-depth interview with jack-of-all-trades comic book creator Tom Scioli. But first, it's time for some nerd news. Chris, what do you have for us this week? Well, I've got some new Star Wars uh, news. Um, I had a lead story, and then about an hour ago, I saw another Star Wars story. So I'm going to kind of give you a a Marvel two-in-one, if you will, of nerd news. Uh, First part of that is Donald Glover is going to return as Lando Calrissian, and that is music to my ears. Um, In a much maligned film like Solo was, he was probably the strongest part of that film. Um, now the more I revisit that film, um, the more I enjoy it, I will fully admit, um, I was much like the majority as a huge fan of Harrison Ford. I was skeptical going in. No one can do this, but Harrison Ford, but I really thoroughly enjoyed it. And the more times that I watched this film, I've seen it three or four times now. I really, really love it. And Donald Glover is one of those creators, one of those personalities in hollywood and in music that every time he's he's like king midas everything that he touches seems to turn to gold community is a fantastic show and he's he's one of the, the the reasons behind that he was fantastic here as lando his music as childish gambino is great um he's winning awards for his his creator owned show on uh, atlanta on fx so um yeah, the rumors uh, here are that he's going to have his own Lando show on Disney+. Plus. Sign me up. I love Lando Calrissian as a character. And I feel like, um, similar to Harrison Ford, there are precious few people mm-hmm. who can follow Billy D. Williams as, like, this sex symbol and, like, roguishly handsome debonair swashbuckler in the sky um in a galaxy far far away and and if anybody can do it it's donald glover so i'm super stoked about this the second part of my two-in-one star wars story is my one of my favorite people in hollywood taika waititi you know him from thor ragnarok you know from know him from what we do in the shadows um he's officially writing a star wars film he he is going to be at the helm um he Previously had been confirmed to tap a a director of a new Star Wars film. He's going to be writing that with Christy Wilson Cairns. Um, And he confirmed today in an interview that he's writing the film. So, I mean, as a Star Wars fan, um, I know the Skywalker saga ended on kind of a sour note for a lot of us um, Star Wars fans. But you have to be happy with the direction that, that Lucasfilm is going forward with individuals like Donald Glover, Taika Waititi. People like this that are so creative and, and so entertaining, um, you know, being at the center of this. Dave, what do you think about this? 
Yeah, so uh, Donald Glover as Lando Calrissian was genius casting and uh, is one of my favorite parts of Solo Star Wars Story as well. Look, I'm with you. I liked Solo. I know that it's not necessarily a popular opinion among Star Wars fans, but I enjoyed it a lot. I feel like the movie got caught up a little bit in the backlash against The Last Jedi. Sure, it got bogged down in trying to over-explain everything about Han Solo, but the movie overall was a lot of fun. And I even would say that I wouldn't mind seeing Alden Ehrenreich again as a young Han Solo, maybe even in this Lando Calrissian show. Uh, nobody can replace Harrison Ford, but Ehrenreich was uh, enjoyable enough in the role. Anyway, I'm hyped for more uh, Donald Glover in Star Wars. Lando is a great character to begin with. Glover does a great Lando on top of that. Um, and... As far as the direction that Star Wars is taking right now, most announcements that have been coming out have me extremely um, optimistic about the future of the franchise. Uh, it seems like Lucasfilm and Disney are putting their faith in some uh, creative individuals that have a, a really good sense of what it takes to tell a good story. And uh, so I'm hoping this is going to be uh, significantly better in the future than the sequel trilogy was. Yeah, absolutely. And for those of you who may not know, Taika Waititi actually did direct one of the latter episodes of Mandalorian season one. I believe it was episode nine. Um, so, I mean, he've already seen, um, you know, his creative juices at work here in the Star Wars universe. So I'm uh, I'm right there with you. I'm super excited to see um, what, what goes here. Uh, Dave, you got some Xbox news for us. What's happening? Chris, Fable is back. Fable is back. This is not a drill. Fable is back. So on Thursday, July 23rd, Microsoft gave the world a sneak peek at some of its games coming to Xbox Series X, the new console set to launch later this year. The show featured a lot of interesting games, including a closer look at Halo Infinite's gameplay, the first Dragon Quest game to ever come to a Microsoft console, a new game from Rare called Everwild, and a new RPG from developer Obsidian called Avowed. Uh, the highlight of the presentation for me, though, was a 60-second teaser for the return of the Fable franchise. The original Fable, uh, for those of you that don't remember, launched on Xbox One and PC, uh, with Fable 2 and 3 released for Xbox 360. The games could best be described as sort of an action-adventure type of game in the vein of a Legend of Zelda, um, but with a heavier emphasis on magic, RPG elements, and a system that tried to incorporate uh, good and evil choices affecting gameplay and story. And I love the first Fable game. I found its sequel to be enjoyable too, although Fable 3 was, was not quite as much fun. Still, I'm a big fan of this franchise. Developer Playground Games is branching out to create this new entry in the series. They usually work on the Forza Horizon games, which, you know, despite the fact that I usually don't enjoy racing video games that much, I really like these Forza Horizon games. It has really interesting gameplay, it's sort of a little more arcadey, and the environments in those games are absolutely breathtaking. So in short, I'm psyched. Obviously, I'm waiting to see more right now about what this game will actually look like, but I'm optimistic for a new fable. Chris, what do you think? Yeah, okay, so I'm, I'm going to have to duck under my desk here after I say this. I haven't played any of the fable games as of yet, um, but now that I see this announcement and I watch the trailer, 
I wonder how I have wasted away the past 16 years of my life and not playing this game because it's everything that I love. So, I mean, um, I'm definitely headed to my Xbox as soon as we hit the stop button here and I'm going to go remote download as many as I can if they're included in Game Pass or whatever. If I have to uh, crunch some budgetary numbers and, and purchase um, anything that's available on my Xbox One right now and I'm, I'm, I'm going to binge all of this because... I've had it recommended to me by friends through the years and stuff, but never really told me the full story. And if they would have told me the full story, I would have totally been in on this fandom, you know, from the jump. So I'm totally excited for this. Um, the teaser itself, um, nerds, if you haven't seen this teaser, go look it up. The fa- new Fable teaser. It's fantastic. Like, it, it it's, it's great. You, you follow this pixie fairy, and then all of a sudden... This is not a happy ending, and it's completely jarring, and, and, and it takes you by surprise. It's a real nice bait-and-switch, so, so go check this out, and I'm totally excited for, for this uh, story to continue. Yeah, I'm right there with you. This is uh, boding well for the future of the Xbox brand. And I have seen a lot of negativity already online saying that you know Microsoft didn't show enough, uh, didn't show enough gameplay, didn't announce enough new games, but in the end... It, you know, it's the little things like bringing Fable back that'll ultimately keep me uh, happy as as an Xbox owner. So I'm very excited about this. So after this short break featuring some rocking music, we'll be back with comic book creator Tom Scioli. You don't want to miss this. Stick around. Welcome back to the Nerd Byword. This week, we have a special guest, writer, artist, colorist, jack-of-all-trades, Tom Scioli. You know him from his series The Myth of Eight Opus, Godlands with writer Joe Casey, Transformers vs. G.I. Joe, GoBots, and Fantastic Four Grand Design. Most recently, he wrote, penciled, and colored a graphic novel biography of Jack Kirby titled Jack Kirby, The Epic Life of the King of Comics. Tom, welcome to the Nerd Byword. We're thrilled you could join us today. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. So, obviously, the uh, natural place to start with an interview like this is with the beginning of your comics career. What ignited that first passion for art in you? Was it comics or something else? Um, yeah, it's hard to say. I mean, it, you know, it was just like art is just something I've always been involved in, you know, just ever since I was a little kid. Um, you know, uh, just, um, yeah, I don't, I don't think it was comics in particular. It was, it was, you know, just, just drawing for drawing's sake. I mean, if anything was the influence, it might, uh, um, might've been like TV and particularly TV animation. But yeah, I mean, it, it started so early. I, I, you know, b- barely recall it, but, uh, comics, you know, they, they were in the mix, but, but it, it was, uh, you know, something I did, it was sort of like a pre-literate activity, you know, something I was involved in before I learned how to read. So I, I you know, wasn't reading comics at that point. Is there a particular um, comic or run of comics that you remember being the first things that really kind of set you on the path of, of enjoying that type of medium? Um, yeah, I mean, I remember um, like Star Wars comics. And I remember like the comics that came with He-Man action figures. Um, those, those, you know, those were probably, uh, you know, the first ones I, I encountered. I, I, I think, um, 
you know, superhero stuff came like a little bit later, but I think it was just like, you know, you know, as a little kid, I loved Star Wars and then seeing like Star Wars comics, um, you know, on, on the shelf at, at, you know, like, uh, you know, uh, B Dalton books or, or, you know, one of those kind of places. Yeah, I remember those He-Man comics very well. They were incredibly memorable, uh, very visually arresting stuff. Yeah, those yeah those like very first ones they had like Alfredo Alcala artwork and it was it was like very yeah like you said very arresting it was like really like really dark lots of like deep shadows and and just like really perfect um, you know perfect for for you know what they were you know depicting like perfect like barbarian uh, artwork and and Alfredo Alcala you know worked on uh, you know like a ton of uh, Conan comic, so it was it was a natural, um, it was a nat- he was a natural choice to, to illustrate those. Now, Tom, you probably your most popular and famous work to date was Godland uh, with writer Joe Casey. Can you tell us a little bit about your time working on that title and what made that book so special to you? Yeah, I mean, I I put a lot of years into it. Like it's it's the you know I think the longest you know stretch of like you know working on a comic for me was that one. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it came along at, um, you know, like, just like a good point in my life. Like it was, you know, I was, you know, kind of young and, and just starting out and, uh, you know, had like a lot of like optimism and sort of, you know, wide eyed going into it. And, and, um, like I learned a lot working on it and, um, you know, and, and I, uh, you know, put in, put in a lot of time and, 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 you know, I think, I think we ended up making like 37 issues of it, which is like the longest run I've, I've had, um, with a comic. Um, yeah, it was, you know, it was just like a, a really good time and Joe Casey was fun to work with. And it was, it was exciting, uh, you know, doing a comic like at image and, uh, you know, creator owned and, and it was my first like color, uh, uh, comic. like the, the, you know, the first, you know, I, I, you know, that was really important to me. I, I um, I, you know, always wanted like my work to be, in color and and back you know when i started it was you know like i was you know doing black and white comics it was um you know like a like a budgetary thing like you know color is just so much more expensive and and um it's a different world now like you know if i want to do color i can do co- you know i can do do a color comic and, and put it online but but back then that was uh you know not not as easy as it is now one of, one of the things that we like to revisit in each episode of our podcast, particularly when we have a professional from the comics industry, is the writer and artist relationship. Um, how did that work with, with uh, Mr. Casey, like the back and forth, the scripting uh, and, and the plotting and all of that? What was that working relationship like? Did, it, um, did he kind of lead the charge with that or was it more of a collaborative thing? Yeah, I mean, it was, it was pretty loose. Uh, like we, we wanted to do like what we understood to be like the marble method, you know, where it's, it's like more collaborative. It's not as, um, you know, like strictly broken down, uh, you know, like, okay, here's, here's the script. Here's, here's what you do. Like, like it was, it was a little more loose and, and even like just going back to the very beginning of it, it was a lot of just like, like me, like emptying my sketchbooks and just like, you know, throwing a bunch of characters in and, and, and us kind of kicking ideas and storylines back and forth and stuff. And, and, um, you know, and, and like, like very collaborative, not, not, um, you know, not what you would envision for like, um, 
you know, the, the pre-Marvel, you know, sort of, I guess, like the DC method or whatever you'd call it, where there'd be like a strict script with like, okay, here's what happens in panel one, here's what happens in panel two, here's, you know, um, here's what everybody's saying. It was, it was um, you know, way more loose than that. And, um, uh, you know, and then, then there were like, you know, one or two issues where, like, I just sort of like, you know, solo, you know, plotted it and then, uh, you know, and then, and then, you know, Joe did, did the words, but, but, um, most, most of them were like, you know, this really, um, you know, really like collaborative things, uh, pre- pretty, pretty close to like having learned more about the Marvel method and, and about like Stan Lee and Jack Kirby's working conditions, like this thing that we call the Marvel method doesn't quite fit the way, uh, Jack and Stan work, but it's, but, you know, that aside, like we, we, we worked like, um, you know, the way the Marvel method would be described in sort of like a textbook, you know, the way it would be described in a, like, you know, how to make comics the Marvel way or, or, you know, um, I, I think there's been some, there's also been some like Marvel, like how to write comics specific books that have, that have come along. And it's, it was, it was pretty much what's described there. Now, Godland and several of the other works uh, show a strong Jack Kirby influence. Uh, how would you describe Kirby's impact on you as an artist? Yeah, I mean, it, uh, it was just like a thorough, um, like uh, he his his work just um, consumed me and um, and just kind of like took over, and and I just uh, you know I just wanted to do things the Jack Kirby way like I really you know it was like you know uh like kneeling before uh your you know the 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 king or whatever like like I was like fully enthralled by how the way he put things together the way he took things apart um just like his whole his whole universe just like it just like blew me away and so I I just I wanted to reverse engineer it I wanted to like how does he do that how does he think like that so it was it was kind of thir- like I, um, you know, when I started studying his work, I sort of came out the other side, um, just, you know, like, like a, a full on like student of Jack Kirby. Like I, um, was really like try- trying to emulate him as, as much as I could. Uh, so I mean, I, I can't, you know, say enough about, about his, his influence. And, and uh, I mean, as the years have gone by, I've sort of found like my own, you know, place in things and, and, um, and, and taking that influence and kind of like made it my own and, and incorporated it into other things. But I mean, it was, you know, for a really long time, it was, it was just, um, you know, Jack Kirby was just everything. And that brings us to, um, the graphic novel biography of, of Jack Kirby that you've recently released. Um, why did you decide to go like a graphic novel style um, biography here? And how did this whole project come about? Like, how did take us back to the origins of this whole thing? Yeah. I mean, like it was, it was like around his hundredth birthday and um, you know, it's something I'd, I'd always wanted to do. I'd always wanted to, you know, either see Jack Kirby's story told in comic book form, you know, like, and, and, and uh, you know, initially, you know, when I first learned about Jack Kirby, I was like, oh, I wonder if he ever did, you know, like write his life story or do his life story comic. And uh, he didn't. He he, he did uh, one story called Street Code, which is like a short, you know, 12 or 15 page 
story uh, about like some of the gang fights that, that he got in when he was a kid, but then that's it. And, and there was nothing else. So it was like, at first it was like, Oh, I, you know, I'd really like to read this. And then finding out it doesn't exist. It's like, Oh, well, you know, maybe, you know, maybe I could make a comic like that. That would be pretty cool. And, and you know, just kind of filed that away, um, you know, as, as like a potential thing. But then as his, um, I think it was like it's Jack Kirby's hundredth birthday. It's kind of like, you know what? Like this would have been the time to have it for, you know, his hundredth birthday. And it's like, you know, it's now or never like, like I got to get this thing rolling. So I um, started uh, posting, you know, like a, a panel at a time or a couple panels at a time, uh, uh, putting it up on Instagram, like, and, and working on it, you know, little by little, uh, you know, in, in chronological order, uh, you know, and, 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 and it just kind of grew from there. Now, how did the book land at 10 speed press? They, they don't seem to be exactly a traditional comic book publisher. I mean, they publish some graphic novels, but they publish a lot of other stuff too. How did that connection come about? Yeah. I mean, I just, um, I had, uh, a, my, um, uh, agent was, you know, kind of, you know, shopping it around, you know, to, to different places and, and, uh, you know, they were, you know, they were, the, they were the right fit, but it was like, like you said, it's not like a, it wasn't, um, I mean, the, the companies I'd worked with before were sort of like comic book companies, you know, like image, Marvel, uh, IDW, like these, these are like comic book companies. And, and so, yeah, this was different. Like this was, um, you know, and I, and I was kind of creating it with a mind towards that sort of like, um, other market, the, the sort of like book, uh, you know, like the book world, the, the, the um, you know, like those kind of publishers and, and, you know, for those kind of things, you know, you, you sort of, you need an agent, uh, as opposed to the, you know, the regular comic stuff, which I, you know, could sort of like negotiate myself and, and, um, you know, like set those, those things up myself. This was like, okay, I, in this, in this, uh, sort of like publishing world, like I, I need an agent to kind of like, you know, guide me through this. Now, in reading Jack Kirby, The Epic Life of the King of Comics, one of the most striking features of your art are Jack Kirby's eyes. Um, they're much larger and more expressive than those of other characters. Um, I remember when Captain America Civil War came out um, and, and Spider-Man was introduced into the MCU, one of the first conversations Dave and I had was, look at those Ditko eyes. Look how expressive Spider-Man's eyes are on screen. And, and, and that's you know, very similar here. You can see the emotions on each panel. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that artistic choice and, and why you decided to go in that direction? Yeah. I mean, like, I mean, Jack Kirby, he's, he's the focal point of, of this book. Like he's, he's the, the person you're, um, like you, like you're going on this rock with him and, and it just like, it kind of makes him into like a visual focal point. Um, you know, he, it, we, there, I, there's just like this like psychological thing that happens where when someone's drawn in a like sort of simplified cartoony manner, it's just, it invites uh reader participation. Like, like you're just like, you know, ready to go on this ride with this character. So, I mean, that was, that was kind of like first and foremost in, 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 in my sort of conscious decision making for it. I mean, what the, 
like one thing when you're making a comic, you have to make like thousands of decisions. And so you sort of have like your, your conscious like rationale for doing it. But then sometimes you're just kind of like going from the gut. Like you're, it's just kind of like, you know, a decision just kind of makes sense to you. And, 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 um, like in this case, I think there was some of that too. It was just like, it just felt like the right thing to do. Like I, I had different like rationales of why it made sense, but it was just, it, it, it just, like it just felt right. It felt like the right way to tell this story. So in, in going through, um, the actual book, I found it all very interesting, but then when you hit the point where he, he goes to war, there's a completely different emotional uh, resonance to that. It, it's like the, the book just goes from really visually interesting and a great story to just like emotionally affecting. What was it like to actually draw those pages of Jack Kirby at war? Yeah, I mean, that that was, um, you know, that was really difficult and, and um, you know, and, and like you said, emotional. Um, it, it's just like, it, there's just like a lot of, you know, a lot of things you have to do, um, like in those, like, first of all, like I've never been to war. I've never been, uh, you know, involved in a war. I've never, you know, like, like, so it's, it's pretty far beyond my personal experience. So there's that, like, I need to like, you know, reckon with that and, and, and understand it, you know, like that way. Um, but then just like, yeah, just like, uh, the things that he was involved in and, 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 um, just like, um, the, you know, just like the brutality and, 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 and that like sort of hair raising, uh, you know, near, like, it, like it was like constant near death experiences. Like, you know, it, it's, it, it was, it was a lot to, to, you know, to sort of wrap my head around and, and, um, you know, like, and he tells these stories, like these are, um, you know, these are like his personal experiences and, 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 you know, there's like YouTube videos you can watch where he's telling these stories and, um, it's just like amazing, like, like the view that, that he had of, of war. Like he was really, um, like he was like a scout. So he would be the first, you know, among the first, uh, in these like, you know, hostile, you know, enemy occupied territories and he'd have to sort of, you know, mark out, uh, you know, troop formations and, and gun placements on, on a map, you know, and then come back and, you know, you know, report back, you know, what he found. So, so he, he, He'd get into some really, uh, some really bad situations. It's, and, and it is like narratively, it is kind of, um, you know, it's a really interesting left turn for the story to take. Like if, if you're not familiar with the story of Jack Kirby, because it is like, Oh, okay. I get what this is. It's the story about a guy who, you know, created comics and here he is. He's, he's drawing this. He's drawing that. And then it's like, okay, now he's on a boat. Okay. Now he's, uh, you know, uh, landing in Normandy. It's like, like I did, I didn't know the story was going here. Like it's a really, uh, you know, interesting left turn, you know, and then the war's over, uh, you, you know, like his, uh, you know, he, he goes home and then the war ends and, and, and it's like, okay, back to, back to making comics. Like, <laughs> you know, it's pretty wild. Now this, this is like, um, I, I kind of, uh, compare this to like a dissertation if you will um this project um uh, is like a culmination of your your life's work so to speak like telling the story of jack kirby someone who's been so influential so how do you go about tackling all of the research necessary to tell the story of jack kirby and his life well i mean i had like an asset that i had going into this was just 
my sort of like years and years of studying Kirby to just like, you know, sort of crack the Kirby code, like of, of you know, trying to like learn to, to uh, you know, think and create and draw like Kirby. I, you know, studied his work very closely and, and you know, studied his, his, his life. And um, so, so I sort of went into this project already having like a pretty strong grasp of his, you know, life story. So that's like an excellent starting point if, if you're going to you know, do a project like this. Um, and so from, from that point, it was kind of like, okay, now I'm sitting down and, you know, telling this story, telling it in roughly chronological order. Um, then it's like, you go in with like the macro lens, then it's like, okay, you know, you know, okay, I know, I know this happens. Let me, you know, go, you know, read as much as I can about, you know, this particular part of his life that I'm trying to depict now. Let me go, uh, you know, read about like what was happening in the world at that time, you know, like, just, um, you know, like take, taking it, you know, slowly, like one, one bit at a time. And then, um, and then continually revising and adapting the, the sort of like larger, um, you know, roadmap that I had for, for, for the entire thing. So it, 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 it you know, just kind of the stages or it's like, you know, you, you have like the, the big view and then you go in close and then you pull back out and then you go in close and you pull out um so it's you know it was it was just this like ongoing process of of like reassessment so the book is mostly told from jack kirby's perspective but when the situation comes to kirby and stan lee you give a few pages to stan lee's perspective once kirby comes back to marvel and it's very interesting to read through those pages um because, you know, there's this infamous working relationship between Kirby and Lee and kind of a debate uh, of how much Stan Lee and how much Jack Kirby is in some of the characters that are now so famous at Marvel. Where do you come down on that debate? Who do you believe was the driving creative force in that relationship? Yeah, I mean, it's it's very complicated. I mean, I I come down on the, you know, okay, Jack Kirby is the driving creative force. Uh, behind the relationship, I, you know, I, you know, from what I see, uh, you know, he was, you know, bringing, you know, more to the table than Stan. But again, it's like, I'm an outsider, you know, like, there's only two people who, who, you know, knew the answer to like, who did what, and that's, you know, Jack Kirby and Stan Lee. And so, you know, like, you don't know for sure, like, like, you know, but, but just, you know, everything I could tell, like, just looking at the work each of them did before, during and after, you get kind of a sense from there. And then looking at the work that like Stan did with other creators um, versus the work he did with Kirby, it's like you kind of get a sense of like who brought what. And, um, you know, I, th I think, you know, I think, you know, Kirby was was the driving force. I don't um, I you know, I, I, I don't think that Stan like didn't do anything. And I, I don't think Stan was, Oh, just a hype man or what, or whatever. Like, I think the hype man part, you know, was, you know, like, uh, you know, that, that was sort of Stan's job, but I, I, you know, I think he, he did, you know, bring, you know, creative stuff to the table, but, but I think like, I mean, Jack Kirby is just this like elemental force and, and, you know, was like throughout his, his career so it would be hard for me to believe 
the sort of, um, you know, story that, that I'd been told, uh, you know, when I was a child, uh, that, you know, Stan Lee, you know, sort of created everything. And then he had, you know, some, uh, artist friends who like, uh, you know, drew his, his, you know, these like brilliant ideas that he had, um, you know, to his specifications. Like I, I, you know, you know, I, I don't, I don't see that. Now you did some work um, yourself at Marvel, working on the Fantastic Four Grand Design. What was that experience like for you? Oh, it was great. I mean, it was it was a lot of fun, and it was um, you know like a dream project, and uh, you know, and and it was like it it fell in my lap, you know, right as I was working on this Jack Kirby book. So it was kind of it was like sort of the perfect thing to work on, um, you know, that like the 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 two works are almost like companion pieces um uh, like i couldn't have you know it, it couldn't have like worked out better if, if i if i'd like engineered it um you know it was just it was just really great and i had you know like full like freedom to to do it my own way and and just yeah it was a, it was a, a great experience i i you know really enjoyed it and um you know really happy with it now you also did some fantastic work on both Transformers versus GI Joe and then GoBots at IDW. Both of those books have been described as uh, having a retro feel. Was that your intention going into those projects? Um, I mean, you know, like when when I do stuff, it just kind of it just kind of comes out. You know, it comes out how it comes out, and um, I mean, I I I like the way old comics look and particularly the color of old comics there's just there's just like a richness to them and i i've tried sort of other ways of coloring comics um and, and you know gotten gotten some you know interesting results and some good results but yeah there's just there's just like a richness to like that sort of old kind of comic coloring there's something about like the lines not being quite black lines and, and the, um, the, the colors kind of being in, in sort of like this, you know, close range and, and, uh, the, and the, the sort of pulpy texture, like it, it kind of, like it looks like, um, you know, it looks like classical painting. Like it looks like, um, you know, the, the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel is like, I just love that aesthetic. So, uh, that, you know, that was the aesthetic I brought to it. So, I mean, you know, the, you know, retro is, is, is one way to, to describe it. I mean, um, like something I was really thinking of, like when I was, uh, doing Transformers versus GI Joe, like I was giving so much thought to color. And like one thing that I was looking at was like, um, there's that, um, famous issue, uh, that's like the silent issue of GI Joe. And, um, it's, it's a classic, like, it's just a great comic. Um, with like snake eyes and, and, and storm shadow. And, uh, I had like the original version, the old comics version, and it's, it's beautiful. It's atmospheric and it's, it's, um, you know, rich and dark. And then I had sort of the reprint version, which was printed on white glossy paper with, um, you know, it was like the same numerical color values, but when you do it on sort of like glossy paper, it just, it looks like a totally different thing. And like, I, I just like, was like obsessing over looking at the two of them side by side. And it's like the, the reprint just loses everything. Like the, the, the original is a great comic and so beautiful, but then the reprint is not a great comic. 
the, the, the original takes place at night. The reprint takes place during the day. Like the colors are just too bright to, to be a night scene. Like it, it was just amazing to me how much a comic could, could, could lose if, if it's not, um, you know, if, if, you, if the color isn't handled like very delicately. So, so I kind of took that to heart and, and that kind of is, is, is what, uh, you know, made, made me color it the, the way I did. Now, Tom, in a 2004 interview with comicsreporter.com, so that's a, you know, a significant time ago, um, you mentioned that uh, working in comics was still a hobby, but that you had to, quote, keep your day job. Um, 16 years later, is that still the case? And why or why not? Oh, no. Yeah, I mean, I, I quit my day job a long time ago. Yeah. Um, I, and I, I quit it, um, you know, not too long before Transformers versus G.I. Joe. And, and uh, it was just, you know, it was just something I had to do. Like, like I, w- I sort of reached uh, a point where it's like, you know, I had I had to make that decision. And, and um, I, I wish I had done it sooner because it it it, it did like, um, you know, my work just kind of took on a momentum after that. Like, it's, it's just it, you just go into a totally different mindset and and just, yeah, just having like way more time to work on stuff. So. So, yeah, it was it was, um, you know, it was, it was the, the right way to go. I mean, it's, you know, like, I, I mean, I, I I did a lot of comics while working a day job and it is it is possible and um you know and a lot of people do it like and uh, uh but uh I, i'm glad that i i don't have to now tom you're also a bit of a unicorn when it comes to the comic book industry because you you pencil you color your own work you write i believe you did some lettering also hand lettering uh you kind of do it all yourself why do you think uh that is and why is that so unusual in the industry today you think yeah, I mean, it's. I mean, the reason it's unusual is because it's so much easier to not do everything yourself. It's so much easier to be part of a team. It's just, it's like, you know, it's really hard um, for me to to like relinquish control of any aspect uh, of of the production. Like, I, I, you know, I have very strong opinions about. Uh, you know, my work and, and, and how I want it to be presented and, and every aspect of that. And so, uh, you know, the, the, the only way to ensure that is to just handle everything myself. And, and, you know, as, as of now, you know, I've, you know, been able to do that. I mean, if, 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 uh, you know, I get to the point where, where that, uh, you know, isn't the case that then, then, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll adapt, but, but yeah, if, if I can do it all myself, uh, I, I want to do it myself. I, I want to, I want it to be exactly the way I want it to be. So Tom, what is up next for you? Um, are there any other upcoming projects that, uh, your fans can look forward to anything that you can reveal at this time? No, I mean, I, I'm, I'm still figuring that out. Like I'm, I'm working on a bunch of different things and just like playing, like I, 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 um, you know, haven't decided yet like what's going to be like the big project that i'm going to do you know for the next you know year or two or three or four i'm really just playing right now uh and and you know i i I think you said something uh along these lines earlier in the interview of of this being like a uh you know dissertation or something like it this really is a hard thing to top like this this is kind of uh this project is like life of jack kirby 
um, it, it is as if everything I've been doing prior to this has been leading up to this. So I, I, I'm really uh, at a loss for exactly how to follow that up. I mean, uh, I, I'm, I, I have a lot of different things I'm, I'm sort of playing with and, and tinkering with, but uh, so far, like nothing has like sort of grabbed me by the lapels, uh, you know, like 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 this project did. But I'm 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 sure you know any day now I'll sort of like figure out what that next thing is. But I'm I'm you know still figuring that out. Tom, it has been a huge pleasure to have you on the show today and have this conversation with you. If our listeners want to connect with you online and keep up with your upcoming projects as you announce them, where can they find you on social media or the internet in general? I'm uh, at Tom Scholey on uh, Twitter and at Tom underscore Scholey on Instagram. And these uh, sort of like experiments and, and things that I'm tinkering with, I've been posting those on, on my Twitter and Instagram. So you can kind of see like just, the kind, the kind of ideas and, and comics and things that I'm playing with. Fantastic. Well, there you have it. Uh, the book is Jack Kirby, The Epic Life of the King of Comics by Tom Scioli, available now wherever books are sold. When we come back from our final potty break, it's time for our weekly nerd commendations. Don't go anywhere. We'll be back. All right, and we're back. Chris, it is time for some nerd commendations. What do you have for us this week? So my nerd commendation comes from the contents of the afternoon that I spent today. I read issues one through five of a limited series, uh, a team-up, if you will, of the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers and the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And it is everything that a 90s kid like myself could hope for it to be it is written by ryan parrott um who is you know as i understand is still cranking out stuff at mighty Morphin power rangers title um the art is done by simone de mayo with uh, art assistance from alessio zono and uh, i cannot say enough about this this is the most fun i've had reading a comic in a very long time um it's and I'm going two for two here in back-to-back Power Ranger uh, nerd commendations. But everything that the story lacked in the video game uh, Battle for the Grid that I recommended last week, um, it makes up for it in this comic. It is such a creative way of intertwining these two very different franchises, these two very different character sets. I think the strength of the series is the writing in particular, but that is in no way to poo-poo the art um, of Simone DeMeo and Alessio Zono. It's got some really cool like redesigns of the Turtles in particular. At first, I didn't know how I felt about it, but as the series went along, I was like, okay, this is cool. I get this. It has kind of like an anime vibe to um, particularly the Turtles scenes um, and, and like the Foot Clan um, but um, the basic premise is, you know, stop me if you've heard this before. Tommy the Green Ranger's in trouble. Um, you know, he's got a little bit of a questionable character. So if you're a Power Rangers fan, that's nothing new for you. So, um, and, and it starts off with uh, a misunderstanding as a lot of these hero versus hero books do in comics with the, the Power Rangers and the Ninja Turtles uh, facing off against one another. 
then they understand it was you know they they come to find out that it was all a big misunderstanding and then they team up there's a lot of really cool mashup stuff that happens um they take the best elements of each franchise and mash it up into like some really cool stuff that i don't want to spoil um you can find all five of these issues digitally on Comixology for two ninety nine a piece, which I was happy to find, as we talked about before in one of our previous episodes, are cheaper than the actual print copies. So if you want to just actually just read it as a reader, you can find it digitally for pretty cheap, two ninety nine an issue. There's only five issues, so $10, $15, and, and you'll be able to read the whole thing. Um, this is one of the few runs, however, that I wanted to buy physical copies for because it was such a special edition that they made all of these cool variant covers for. And I was able to find three at my local comic book shop, Dwayne's world. And I was able to find two, the two that I couldn't find there. I found on mycomicshop.com, And, and some of the variant covers were the Ninja turtles holding the power Rangers, uh, helmets. So I'll, uh, I'll post those on all of our social media, but they're just like iconic to to hold so so as i've previously stated on the show before i'm primarily a reader first and there are very select few comics that i want to collect you know at this stage in my life with small children that i don't want them to mess them up or whatever but this is one of the ones i splurged on because the covers are so cool um i can't say enough about this comic it's just so much fun the um the interpersonal relationships between some of the Rangers and the Ninja Turtles. You have my personal favorite, the Black Ranger, uh, talking with Michelangelo, one of my favorite turtles, about pizza toppings. Um, you have Leonardo and the Red Ranger being insufferable, ne'er-do-wrong, Dudley-do-right leaders. Um, you have Donnie and Billy the Blue Ranger being absolute nerds. Oh man, nerds, just wait till you see Billy the Blue Ranger and Donnie geek out over over tech stuff and they build robots together. It's it's freaking beautiful, ladies and gents. So, uh, the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers TMNT series, it's only five issues. You can find it on Comixology for $2.99 each issue, or you can find them probably about $4.99 um, uh, physical copies in your lcs or online but i highly recommend this it's so much fun and i had the best day today reading all five of those issues you know this is an absolute fanboy's dream i didn't know about this book but i will definitely be seeking it out i remember when power rangers in space met the teenage mutant ninja turtles in live action and those were the next mutation turtles and the less said about that show the better uh so this sounds like a much (laughs) much superior meeting between Power Rangers and Turtles. Now, Chris, I did have one question when I saw this recommendation. What version of the Turtles do you think these Turtles are based on? 80s cartoon, live-action movies, Michael Bay? These are... um, So this is kind of a two-for-one. Again, I'm a bargain shopper. This is like a two-for-one nerd commendation here, ladies and gents. Dave, these are the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles that you recommended to me our first episode, the current IDW series. It's in the same voice, in the same style. I was easily able to slide. I was I was kind of nervous. I put off reading these. I had them sitting on my shelf for a couple of weeks. I was like, I don't know. I haven't read any Ninja... Uh, excuse me. I haven't read any Power Ranger comics. I don't know if I'm going to be able to, to, to read this. Is this something that I need prior knowledge to or whatever? No, this is exactly the the IDW current run of 
Ninja Turtles that you're reading, and these are the 90s Power Rangers that you know and love. Kim is the Pink Ranger, Jason is the Red Ranger, Billy's the Blue Ranger, Zack is the Black Ranger, and Trini is the Yellow Ranger. Um, it's it's just fantastic, and every I I cannot say enough about Ryan Parrott's writing. He understands each character. Like even Splinter has some absolute beautiful like Splinter isms, like those sage like nuggets of wisdom that he loves to drop on us. Um, shout out to the original nerd dad Splinter. Um, and then also his work with um, Shredder and Rita Repulsa, um, Goldar even. So uh, the character work on this uh, and, and the writing, I can't say enough about. Now, Dave, we go from uh, a comic book to a television series with your nerd commendation. What do you have for us? So this week I am going to go ahead and stick my toe in some waters that can be uh, rather dangerous, and that is the Trek fandom. My recommendation this week is the television series The Orville. Uh, the first two seasons are available on Hulu, and a third season is apparently currently in development. The series was created by and stars Seth MacFarlane, uh, probably most famous as the creator and voice actor on the animated series Family Guy. It is in essence a Star Trek tribute show. Now, when I first saw the trailers for this show, I feared that it would be primarily a comedy, basically like Family Guy in Space or something. Uh, but it has turned into something much better than that. In many ways, it doesn't feel like a parody of Star Trek, so much as it does feel like a love letter to Star Trek. There's a real effort in the show to create believable characters uh, struggling with complex uh, moral and ethical issues. And it does that and still is able to maintain a sense of humor, even when things get dark sometimes. Now, I won't deny that the humor can be a bit juvenile, but when the Orville works, it's just good science fiction, humor or no humor. Ultimately, I think fans of science fiction and Star Trek in particular should give this show a shot. Uh, just be sure to stick around for several episodes while the show finds its legs. Once it really starts clicking, I would uh, say that it tries to tell story in the vein of the original series and The Next Generation. Very much uh, social commentary, uh, dealing with complex issues, uh, bringing things down to the character level and really digging in on who these characters are. It's, it's really shocking, actually, in a lot of ways. Uh, when you compare what the show has become to the initial marketing campaign. It doesn't really feel like a comedy. It just feels like a, a really good science fiction show. And I was surprisingly pleased with it. Now, we, we talked about this show specifically uh, in a number of situations. I think we talked about this at work one day after, uh, after we clocked out. We also talked about this off camera after our last episode recording. And my initial... Um, reservations about this show was being a, a huge fan of, of Star Trek Discovery um, and loving that show and then the backlash that, that Discovery in particular has received from a lot of toxic fans online their calling card and their their battle flag if you will was thank God for the Orville and that's quote unquote real Trek so like I saw this um from from a different perspective and i was i i had my reservations about even you know plus pressing play on this but you did you went a long way in, in convincing me you know off camera um with this um 
and and that you can enjoy both and that that you you if if memory serves you you enjoy both shows is that correct Oh yes, I'm a big fan of Discovery as well. Uh, they're just two very different approaches uh, to the same idea. I would say Discovery tonally reminds me much more of something like uh, Star Trek Deep Space Nine, uh, which is by far my favorite Trek show, uh, whereas The Orville reminds me more of Star Trek the original series and to some extent Next Generation. Um, so I I don't think that there is necessarily a, a place... Uh, where these two shows have to be in some kind of rivalry, or the fans of these two shows have to be in some kind of rivalry. I think they each reflect a different aspect of what Star Trek has been in the past. Um, and they're both very well done. So the way I see it, the more the merrier. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And that's my hope. So I'm, I'm definitely going to give this a shot. Um, and, and I appreciate your your defense of it and, and, and bringing like a new lens to it. All right. Well, that's it for another episode of the Nerd Byword Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Remember, we want to hear from you. Comments, suggestions, complaints, bring them on. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Nerd by Word and on Facebook as The Nerd by Word. If you're on Apple Podcasts, please drop us a rating and review. You can also go to ratethispodcast.com slash nerdbyword. That's ratethispodcast.com slash nerdbyword and drop a review there. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we have breaking news. I talked Dave into Twitter a couple of weeks ago, but now I've, I've, I've finally peer pressured him into Instagram as well. So you can find myself at that nerd Chris uh, on Twitter and Instagram individually. But now you can also find Dave at at that nerd Dave on Twitter and Instagram. So so go give him a follow and welcome him to to Instagram as well uh, and show him what an awesome welcoming fandom community that is. Um, as always, we thank you for joining us for another episode. Be sure to subscribe wherever you find your podcasts, where if that's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, or our, our fancy website, nerdbyword.com. Just hit that subscribe button, and every Monday morning you're going to be graced with yet another episode. Um, we've had some fantastic interviews here in the past few weeks with Luciano Vecchio and Tom Scioli today. Um, and we've got some more great ones lined up in the weeks to come. So stick around um, and thank you for your support and stay well and stay nerdy. The Nerd By Word is produced by two nerds, Chris and Dave, to encompass all aspects of the nerd multiverse. The theme music was written by Al Jimenez. Our show art features original art by Ashby Design as well as public domain comic panels. Find us online at nerdbyword.com, on Twitter at nerdbyword, and send questions and comments to nerdbyword at gmail.com.